This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Can you do it like a minor key? To somehow I don't. So no, you can't. No, I can't. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Inauguration is upon us this Friday, January twentieth. Mm-hmm. At 12.01 p.m., we're going to have a new president in town. That's true. In all the towns, actually. All the towns mm-hmm. under these United States. All the towns in America. And it's going to be a wild ride. Yep, Mr. Toad's wild ride coming to America, <laughs> USA. <laughs> so, in anticipation of this of this great event, Craig and I have decided... That we are going to read the U.S. Constitution for the show this week. Oh, we decided to read the U.S. Constitution. Well, yeah, we already did it. Yeah, we did most of our homework for today's class. <laughs> uh, and we're going to share the fruits of our labors with you, the listener. That was a big moment of the election season, right? During the Democratic National Convention when Mr. Khan like, held his constitution up and was like, Mr. Trump, you could borrow this. So that yeah. you know what it is. As far as I know, he never, Trump never took him up on that. No. Because the ACLU tweeted, like, pretty recently that he was still <laughs> offering his constitution to Donald Trump. So I know that I'd never read it. I Like, I know I'd studied it, but I don't think I'd ever talked, like, I don't ever think I'd sat down and, like, I feel like I, I have... I had read, I don't know if I read the actual thing in like civics class in like elementary school, high school. I know we like talked about yeah, all yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I don't know that I ever just like sat down and read the Constitution. It's pretty short. It's In fact, of the, the Kindle edition that we linked and that we both bought, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights are like the first 5% of the book. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> it doesn't take long to read all of it, so, which is kind of interesting. And we'll, yeah, we'll maybe talk about that. Before we get into today's events, Andrew, I think we need to briefly talk about an upcoming event for the show. Yeah, we do. So It's a live show. We're doing another live show, and Boom. it's not the Summer Podfest, but it is... Because it's February. Because <laughs> it's February. So uh, mark your calendars on February 11th. Uh, we're going to be doing a double bill with a podcast I've never heard of called Appointment Television mm-hmm. um, at the Free Library in Philadelphia. Uh, we think it'll be the Central Branch, um, and tickets are going to be 15 bucks, but like 60% of that goes to the library, and the other part just like helps us do live shows. So mm-hmm. um, we will have a ticket like link available as soon as possible our friends and at, at, yeah and, and we'll have more info about like the venue and and how to get there i think the show's gonna end up starting at around six mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but yeah our um our pals over at the philly Podfest are helping put this together 
And um, as soon as we get more details from them, we'll post it up on our Facebook page and, and on Twitter and pretty much everywhere. And just so you guys can can get all the info and let us know that you're coming. If you like are, don't check our feeds as often as some of our other listeners, but you know you want the info, like shoot us a message on Facebook or shoot us an email, and I will not hesitate to let you know as soon as we have more information because I want <laughs> as many people to be there as possible. Yeah, right. Got to put some butts in them seats. Put butts so. in those seats, and it, yeah. we're supporting a house of books. So, Andrew. Craig. When did the Constitution happen? In uh, 1787 is when it was written from May to September. Sure. And then it in was- In Philadelphia. Rad- in Philadelphia, the city that we're in. So, yeah. suck it, everybody else. <laughs> it was uh, ratified in 1788. Okay. And it was it went into effect in 1789. Stuff just happened at a slower pace back then, you know? Well, there's like the whole- Before the old internet. Yeah, before the whole internet. And this had followed, right- First, we declared our independence in 1776. I don't know if you've heard right. about that. Right. Um, and the, uh, the date that America was independent from Britain was not the date that we won our independence from Britain, <laughs> which was in 1783, <laughs> but it was the day that we said we were independent, <laughs> which, is, which was in 1776. It's a pretty great move. <laughs> so so um, when we declared our independence, we wrote up this thing called the Articles of Confederation. This was written in 76 and 77 and ratified in 1781 and it did establish a sort of federal government that tied together the 13 different states yeah it was not it was not a very powerful federal government and it wasn't able to function very well um george washington summed up the problem with the articles of confederation as no money (laughs) Uh uh-huh because the the because it had it had no it had authority to do a few things but it had no authority to to gather any money from the states to pay any national debts yeah and it could like print money into oblivion but it none of it was worth anything Mm -hmm. and it it was just like just get some gold and silver you'll be fine i like i read i was reading (laughs) There was apparently a phrase about like you could say about a worthless person Ooh. that they they weren't worth a continental. Oh no. <laughs> which is a reference to the stupid continental money that nobody wanted. Yeah, it had no enforcement powers. Um a lot of the big decisions required like unanimous state approval, which was just never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um and there were multiple instances where folks in the military wanted to get paid and couldn't. So they would rebel, like Shay's Rebellion, um, and Congress just like couldn't even help out Massachusetts. So it's just a bad scene. It's a bad scene. Yeah, with so the this, do- of this document was a bad scene. It didn't do great. <laughs> um, so from May to September of 1787, like we said, there was a constitutional convention. It was led i mean there were a lot of people there it was led mostly by james madison and to a lesser extent alexander hamilton and uh presided over by george washington and they it was it was a delegate sent from every state though uh new york just kind of threw up its hands and left early in the process yeah, so like, didn't have much of a say in what happened and every once in a while like hamilton would show up and say something crazy and then like leave for a couple more weeks <laughs> um new hampshire didn't make it until a little ways in they yeah. didn't even have 
the requisite quorum of seven states until like a week or two after they'd actually decided to start. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just because it, it was hard for people to travel in those days. So, like, I like what happened, which is that James Madison and Virginia get there first. Yes. And they draw up something called the Virginia Plan. Or also which, known as the Large State Plan. Which, <laughs> which um, it proposes the basics of our uh, so bicameral legislature, which just means that our Congress got two houses in it. Oh, yeah. Two houses. Yeah, it got two houses. And... um so that that was the groundwork and then because that was already there when other states started showing up they got a pretty decent contingent behind it and so that virginia plan was sort of the basis that everybody started from when we started talking about the constitution hey man if you start throwing the party you get to decide what's on the playlist like that's just how it works yeah I mean, you can just pass around your iPad and let people pick songs, but that never ends. That well. never ends well. You You're... always end up listening to weird covers of All Star by Smash Mouth. <laughs> uh, and it's worth noting that a lot of the separation of powers and the bicameral system and whatnot that was proposed in the Virginia plan was heavily influenced by folks like Johnny Locke, um, Montesquieu. I think it's the Spirit of Laws is the document that they were drawing on. Mm-hmm. Um, just... <laughs> that makes it sound like there is a like a lawful ghost who is in <laughs> the spirit of laws. I, wanted... I will visit. Well, three of us will visit you in the night and tell you about your constitution. It's called spirit of the laws, which is like even better. I think mm-hmm. um, not so much Thomas Hobbes, who you always hear mentioned the same breath, and he's just kind of worse, I guess. Um, the competing plan was the New Jersey plan, which would have. <laughs> New Jersey, get out of here. <laughs> uh, which proposed a unicameral body with one vote per state, and it that generally favored less populous states. And so uh, that would... That's the perennial fight here. Basically, every fight was... It was about federal power versus state power. Sure. So you've got 13 of these states, and they're all kind of used to running their own affairs... And there is a contingent, and Madison is is part of it, called the Federalists, who believe that there should be a strong central government who can like act on behalf of all these states. And then there are anti-Federals who are like, nah, 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 nah. And then once you get to the point where you say, okay, we're going to have this federal government, whatever, then you get into fights about how states are represented. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, there are going to be populous states with more free persons to vote in this at this point in history. It would have been um, basically like landowning white dudes who could vote. Correct. Correct. And so because of slavery, which the Constitution does not mention by name. We'll talk about that. Um, the northern states had more eligible voters than the southern states did. So plans couldn't get off the ground without support from some of them southern states and there were there were compromises made to appease appease those states and the condition of slavery that they kind of needed yeah. to yeah. function as they did um, um so the big one craig tell me about the big one well the big compromise is what is now referred to as the connecticut compromise um there's also the three-fifths compromise, which is, like, a part of it, right? That um, was a big one I was thinking of, yeah. Well, the, the Connecticut compromise was the establishment that the Senate 
would be two votes from each state rather than another representation like representative body right uh, this is this was another it was another fight was like how will big states be represented in congress versus little states and how do we make sure that the concerns of little states don't get overridden by the big states and so they settled on this system where the upper house was like every state was equal and then the lower house which is the house of representatives gets um representatives that are basically tied to population Mm -hmm. and the and the compromise they came up with based on that was that for the purposes of counting uh non-free people was it was it say like free persons are like one vote and then anybody else is three-fifths of a vote yes and not that they get to vote but that for purposes of counting for representation a slave would be counted as three-fifths of a person yeah that's pretty cool yeah cool job. because cool you're job, framers you're in a situation where you have a you have a body of people that exist in a land that is not naturally theirs um we will go on to talk about what the actual document says but like it should be noted that the people drawing up this document are from Europe uh by and large where land was at a premium and all of the social classes came out of that kind of feudal system and now they're in this like country where they're just taking other people's land and saying it's theirs <laughs> Um, there's so much of it everywhere well there's so much of it everywhere just around there for taking and just build a fence around it it's your land it's true and there was this kind it's like this resource that pre that theoretically didn't exist uh in europe so they're building this country around the idea that like new land can be gotten and uh the rules around which we govern the land that we already stole from people um should influence this document that we build but then yes yeah, so you have states that are like totally cool with slavery and states that are uh, not cool with slavery, but not necessarily willing to press the issue yet. Um, so like willing to press it, but it was clearly a chip that could be used. Yes. It was not, it was not a, a no go thing for and slavery it, and to it's, exist. Yet. It's worth noting that there was a Northwest ordinance a couple years earlier that Thomas Jefferson worked on um, that was mostly, re- mostly revolving around territory in Ohio and whether or not states could take like more land to the west and add to themselves and it was ruled that they like couldn't um and that also like you weren't supposed to grow tobacco and stuff in ohio and not have slavery there because the southern states didn't want competitors for their industry and like you look back and you're like that's really forward thinking and humanitarian in the new territories to not have slavery in them. It's like oh wait no it's just the slave states didn't want competition for their yeah, cheaply right. made product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the Constitution finally gets around to talking about uh, like admitting new folks into representation, it just refers to them as such persons as any states now existing shall think proper to admit. Um, yeah cool you know like slaves but we shouldn't say that in the constitution everybody will know we mean slaves right that's what we'll we'll all just know so yeah that's there's some unsaid stuff in this document um vis-a-vis just taking land from native people and slavery that is clearly understood 
Mm-hmm. Um, by the framers and the writers of the document, but certainly not explicitly stated, which is good in the in the in the sense that you can now like add those freedoms to those people moving forward. Um, but we have to like take some of the things with a grain of salt because we know that those people were cool with a bunch of stuff that we're not cool with. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'll blast through the last of the like the authorship stuff that I think is interesting and the last big like slavery related. Mm-hmm thing um so i thought it was interesting that they debated having a single president be the like the chief of the executive branch versus having a board of three people to do it Mm -hmm. and the fact that they all pretty much knew that george washington would be the first president made them cool with there just being one Mm -hmm. person in charge Mm -hmm. so there there's something Um, and then we get to the Electoral College, which is a big, uh, which is, you know, it's dominated the conversation pretty recently mm-hmm. because our current president did not receive more votes than his uh, his nearest competitor. But he did win this obscure contest that has to do with like a technicality about how we count votes. Um, so the Virginia plan wanted um, Congress to elect the president originally because the Congress people would theoretically like already reflect the will of the people. But people were worried about like a, a group of Congress people basically banding together and just electing whoever they wanted. And they were also worried about presidents being too indebted to any particular group of Congress people. Um, other delegates, other delegates, they preferred a popular vote, but Southern states again were against it because slaves wouldn't be able to vote, which gave Southerners less influence overall. Correct. So they settled on this sort of halfway in between system where you've got these electors who are not allowed to be federal officials who basically vote based on the way that the people in their states vote. Well, and that, um, and, and, th- and yeah. there are some there are some things about that that get changed in the Twelfth um, Amendment to the Constitution, but um, correct. But yeah, that's how we've arrived at the system that we have now. Sure. Um, and then at the in the end, the document was executed by eleven of the thirteen states and by Hamilton, who was still hanging around, even though the New York delegation had left. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then it was sent around to the to the states. I believe it needed pursuant to its own articles um anything concerning the constitution needs to be ratified by two-thirds of the states yeah and we'll talk a little bit more as kind of unpack some of that background as we go through the specific articles and then i know we kind of want to dive into the amendments because that was like a huge condition of the ratification was that there would be a subsequent series of amendments to spell out some things that people thought were missing mm-hmm. um, or things that people were particularly worried about. Uh, I think like it's just worth noting that there were definitely... S- these guys thought that they were doing something wicked important. Like some of them came in thinking, okay, we're going to change the Articles of Confederation and that's going to be cool. But some of them definitely were like, we are going to change the repu- like the way that republics work, and it's going to be important for years to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it should also be noted, like there were 85 essays written. It's called the Federalist Papers. It was written by um, Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay, even though John Jay, if you've listened to the musical Hamilton, he did not pull his weight. Yes. <laughs> um. 
But yeah, there's this collection of 85 essays written to like defend this constitution to the people and like encourage the states to ratify it, which is a lot of essays. Yeah. <laughs> written between um, October 1787 and August 1788. Like that's just that's a lot. That And it's very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Madison said that he said that they would now t- decide forever the fate of Republican government. Um Governor Morris said uh, the whole human race will be affected by the proceedings of this convention. And James Wilson said, after the lapse of 6,000 years since the creation of the world, America now presents the first instance of a people assembled to weigh deliberately and calmly and decide leisurely and peaceably upon the form of government by which they will bind themselves and their prosperity. Uh, So, yeah, I guess that's true, but... We we are certainly in uncharted territory with the creation of this thing. Right, yeah. Let's take a quick break and then figure out what the heck the Constitution actually is. Do you like to cook? Yeah, do you? I'm okay at cooking. Um, I didn't ask if you were okay at it. I asked if you like to do it. I am okay at cooking. Okay. <laughs> but... I bet I'm going to get better uh, thanks to the fine folks at Blue Apron. Did you know that Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and and recipe delivery service in the country? How many others are there? I don't don't know. I don't know. But (laughs) I do know (laughs) that Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Um, Have you used Blue Apron, Andrew? I think you have. I have, yeah. We we were Blue Apron subscription subscribers for a long time. And what they do is they just send you, like, every week they send you a box of food. (laughs) And um, it it works out to less than $10 per person per meal. They send you exactly the, like, number of ingredients and stuff that you need. So you don't have to let half a thing of green onions or most of a thing of parsley go bad in the fridge because you only needed a little bit of it to make the recipe that you wanted. Um, yeah, they send you all the food. They send you these easy to follow recipes with pictures of what everything is supposed to look like, which is pretty clutch. <laughs> That's true. And they and they also let you um, their their website has this great interface for letting you pick stuff based on dietary restrictions. So like Susanna doesn't eat red meat. So it's super easy to just cut that out and like focused on the chicken and the fish and the vegetarian. Some things that are coming up that you might enjoy are spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and furikake, or <laughs> pork chops and garlic piccata with scallion rice and spinach, or mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime and with lime sour cream or lime and sour cream. I'm not quite sure how that goes. <laughs> uh, it's worth noting that they will deliver to 99% of the continental U.S. and 99.5% of food deserts if you're worried about getting to grocery stores. Yeah, man, that's a real concern in some places, too. It really is. Um, so check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash overdue. Um, you'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash overdue. Blue Apron. A better way to cook. A better way to cook. Whoa. I beat you. Dang. (laughs) I wanted to get in on the end there. 
Craig, that's you got food for your tummy now, but what about food for your brains? Oh, food for my brains. Uh, I want to tell you about the Penn State World Campus. It allows you to earn your Penn State degree online from anywhere in the world. Um, They offer more than 125 graduate and undergraduate degree and certificate programs, and they're ranked number one for online bachelor's degrees by the U.S. News and World Report. It's a great system for people who are busy working adults, for people who want to... Uh, advance their careers or start in a new field or they just want to be able to set their own pace to earn your degree if you've already if you're already working a full-time job it can be hard to make time for actual college classes where you need to like walk into a room and sit and have somebody tell you your brain stuff for an hour and like i don't at this point in my life, I don't need to go back to a place where there's like a quad and a guy with a guitar. No, like, man. Like, I don't need to sit in front of a chalkboard and watch somebody draw stuff on it. That sounds boring. No, just feed I want it a computer. I want a computer to learn me how to do stuff. <laughs> yeah, what you said. <laughs> Uh, You can learn how the Penn State World Campus can help you reach your educational goals by visiting worldcampus.psu.edu. Again, that's worldcampus.psu.edu. Penn State World Campus, a world of possibilities, but it's online instead of offline. Online. Mm -hmm. Speaking of online, Andrew, if I needed to make a place online for people to find the stuff that I do, I should make a website, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So you get on AngelFire. No, no, no. I Lycos.angelfire.biz. I, I think. think you should use Squarespace. Andrew. Oh, you know what? That's probably better. So Squarespace uh, will help you make your website look beautiful with their award-winning designer templates. Um, you can make a website or an online store. It's an all-in-one platform uh, that we use. Um, so like it, they just like take care of the back end, and we just use it. Like it updates, it change. I don't know. There's more tools every week. We just make use. And of obviously, it. you don't need to know anything about Not how websites all. work I, to be able to make a Squarespace I, website. I, you idiot! I just go there, and there's web stuff there. There's like code all over the place. It's just dripping in code. They've got 24 seven customer support if you need it. Clearly, like I do. Um, You've got unique domains if you sign up, um, and it can really it can make all sorts of different types of websites. You could do a gallery for your photos, or if you're a musician, you want to share your music, or you want to like sell stuff. We've got merch. Um, you can <laughs> use Squarespace to do that. Uh, you can start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code OVERDUE to get 10% off your first purchase. That's the offer code OVERDUE at squarespace.com. Make your next move with Squarespace. You beat me to it. I did. Now I gotcha. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That's the opening of the Constitution, Andrew. Good job. It is. I'm so proud of you for recognizing it. As we said before the break, this thing takes up like four pages of parchment. That's Mm -hmm. it. Uh, it's not a very long document, and a- along the way, we might point out a couple ways where I'm like, "Really, that's it? 
That's all you got. <laughs> uh, so we're just going to kind of truck through an order and uh, don't add us because we're not like constitutional scholars or anything. We just decided to read the founding law of our country. <laughs> yeah. Which, out. I mean, in this day and age is probably enough to make you a constitutional <laughs> scholar. Probably. Like, Jesus. So Article 1 of the Constitution. I was surprised having not just like actually sat down and read this thing that it just jumps right in yeah it's, it's like hey there's a senate and a house of representatives yeah and that's called congress legislative powers uh are herein granted so it then talks about what we've already mentioned that there's members chosen every second year that are you know divided up uh by the population of each state or for representational purposes i was impressed i guess in section two that like already we're not talking about slavery <laughs> um yeah. there's no limit to how much we cannot talk about slavery it's in this really true uh there's some stuff in there where it's like mentioning it as to like what it shall be until congress decides otherwise um and that we're going to do a census every 10 years uh, it's in this article that we we lay out what each house, and when I say house, I mean the House of Representatives and the Senate, uh, can do. So the House of Reps gets sole power of impeachment, uh, and you're reading this song, like, what, what does that mean? I don't know. Well, you'll find out. Um, <laughs> and that budget bills start in the House. So the Senate uh, can amend or make recommendations on budget bills, which apparently they didn't initially want to let the Senate do, um, mm-hmm. but that got through anyway. Uh, and again, the House is elected like every two years. Where so, senators are elected every six years, and these days at least it's set up to sort of rotate, so you get about one-third of the senators up for election well, at any given time. And that's that's laid out in Section 3. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like three classes of senators and there is not the, like every election, the entire government is just reinvented in the Senate. Right. So, I mean, the, the idea is that the house of representatives is more representative. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if the whims of the people is, mm. is what I want to say, but it's like, intended to be able to turn over more quickly so if you do some like say just let, let's just say you do something stupid in a presidential election <laughs> like it doesn't take very long for people to say wait this is stupid yes let's let's impose some some checks on this thing. truth and and um, as we mentioned the senate is there in its composition uh was put in place through the connecticut compromise to equal out small and large states um yeah so for representatives you don't get less than one yes you never get less than one (laughs) you can have way more than that depending on how many people or not people live in your state hey now (laughs) hey and the senators like every state gets two no matter what that's true um the senate also presides over impeachments even though they don't initiate them uh and the chief justice of the supreme court which we'll talk about later Uh, presides against an impeachment of the president. Um, No one shall be convicted without concurrence of two-thirds members, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I found it interesting that if you impeach a president, according to the Constitution, or Mm -hmm. anyone like that, um, you still can try them for criminal stuff later. (laughs) Like, the impeachment does not specifically put them in jail. It just removes them from office. 
uh, which yeah. So and it should be it should be worth noting. Like, and this is something that anybody who was in school during the last bit of the Clinton administration is aware of. But impeachment is just the trial. Yes, that's true. It is not like when yeah. you are when you are impeached, you are not automatically removed from office. That's true. Um, and it's worth noting that to date, no president has ever been removed from office because of impeachment. Um, Bill Clinton, you know, he beat the rap, <laughs> and um, and Nixon was. I mean, he's widely. It's widely believed that he would have been removed, but he resigned before impeachment trials could begin. Sure, that's sure. Uh, there's also like a lot of. I won't say rigmarole because that's really dismissive, but I'll just say rigmarole um, about, you know, how these representatives and senators get paid. They're allowed to determine their rules for their proceedings. They have to keep a journal of their proceedings, which is important for us. Like Dear journal. <laughs> yes. We had uh, such a big vote today. It's important for us that uh, they do that so that we know how people voted etc um section seven of article one points out the veto process which is you know probably less likely to matter yeah, when so let's get what... let's get all schoolhouse rock on, okay on people first oh how does a bill happen andrew okay so a bill like most bills can originate in um in either house yeah yes except for like ones that are specifically given to one house or sure, the other correct um so it's got to pass both houses um, with a is it a two thirds majority? I know that's that's like changed around. Like there are some things that that just require a simple majority. Like those rules change, but basically whatever the rules are, it needs to pass through both houses, and then it goes to the president, and then the president, if he signs it, it goes into law. If he just lets it sit on his desk for ten days and doesn't specifically veto it, it becomes a law anyway. That's something that's called a pocket veto, and it's normally. It's just a way for the president to throw shade on a law that he sort of doesn't <laughs> like. <laughs> and then he can veto it, which prevents it from becoming law unless, and this is where two-thirds becomes important, unless it can um, go back to Congress and get passed by two-thirds majority in both houses. Both in houses. In case, the, yep. the veto is overridden and it becomes law anyway. Uh, then section eight of this article uh, lays out all the stuff that Congress is empowered to do. Um, everything from like rule of naturalization to commerce with foreign nations to uh, copyright law, apparently, mm-hmm. um, to define and punish piracies and felonies d- committed in the high seas. Which yeah, like Section Eight cool is one. about is about laying out what Congress is allowed to do. So, like, they can establish post roads and post offices. They can promote the progress of science and the useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors, the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. Um, they can declare war. They can raise and support armies and a Navy. Um, there, there are some other things in here, but yeah, this, this first part is all about like what Congress can do. Like that's the deal with article one mostly yeah it's worth noting that art section nine is where we hear about the um, the emolument clause where uh note you know officers of profit or trust in the government shall not accept presents emoluments offices or titles from any king prince or foreign state um that's where we also mentioned habeas corpus that's also the section that uh congress when this passed agreed to not 
mess with the migration, the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit, aka slaves. Slaves. Um, so that was put in the Constitution. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then ten, I like ten because it's the states can't do things other that countries can do. Like <laughs> states can't make treaties with themselves versus other states or like make their own money you can't have connecticut dollars you can't connecticut bucks like lay like duties on foreign imports duties yeah get it um and you can't like keep troops or ships of war that don't belong to the rest of the government so that's where like the states are like okay yeah we're okay sure we got to right. move through these at a faster clip than this. Okay. Um, so fine. Article 2 is shorter than Article 1 by quite a bit. Yeah. And it's mostly, it's mostly about the president. And so it's a, it opens, the executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. He shall, shall, hold his, he shall hold his office during the term of four years and together with the vice president chosen for the same term be elected as follows. And it goes through basically the electoral college stuff that we sort of recounted before the break yes um and then the i guess the most important or most interesting bits of this are about who can be president Mm -hmm. so uh, no person except a natural born citizen or a citizen of the united states at the time of this adoption of this constitution shall be eligible to the office of the president and they have to be 35 years old and they have to have been a United States resident for 14 years. I like that last part. Like you can't just like get born here and leave and then just show up one day and run for president. Like you have yeah. to know what the scene is, which I mm-hmm. dig. Uh, mm-hmm. It also has the oath that they swear when they take office. I like the phrase, he shall from time to time give to the Congress information on the State of the Union. Just like whenever. The State of the Union address. Yeah, so it's at this point, I think we can talk about just a little bit about how much of this stuff is not explicitly laid down not at in all. the Constitution or like not at this time. Like, so there are no term limits for anybody, including the president laid out in this Constitution. True. It also, the Electoral College is laid out in the Constitution does not have like you vote for two people for president and the runner up becomes vice president. Um Amendment 12 changed that. Yeah, the weaknesses of of that system become evident pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah, like, as you said earlier, they basically designed a thing that they thought Washington would be good at. Um, And there's an anecdote that a woman asked Benjamin Franklin after all this went down. She said, well, doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. Like, (laughs) uh, if you... I also found a quote that if you squint at this hard enough, it looks like a monarchy. Like the, they, I mean, it's really all about it's all about intent and it's all about how it's interpreted. And I think most scholars would say that it's purposely left sort of open ended so that people can so that people can adapt it to the time they're living in. Yes, and because the framers had sufficient like trust in the people that they would be able to figure this stuff out and, and it like was not a, slide into monarchy. It was a wholly you know? new office in terms of governments that they knew about um, to, to create an executive that was both elected this way and had the powers that it had. So they were kind of just like winging it. Yeah. And so it's like a big, a big dividing line between this and a monarchy was like, it did come down to Washington 
who at the end of his second term, despite the fact that he could he could easily have have won a third. I yep. think. Uh, like, oh yeah. You win the Revolutionary War and you're pretty popular for life. Um, he decided to step away at the end of two terms, and that established a precedent that most presidents followed thereafter. Now, when we talk, there's a specific amendment we can talk about. Yep. Um, when it comes to that, but Article Three. But yeah, like. So much of this is about just like norms. Yeah. Article three. And when you get some chuckle jerk in there. who <laughs> Chuckle jerk. <laughs> some dude in there who doesn't care for norms. Like there is a lot of room for these those kinds of people to maneuver, unfortunately. I was similarly surprised by how slim article three is, which is just, hey, there's a Supreme Court. Congress is going to make other courts as necessary. Everyone's going to get paid. And the justices are responsible for, like, settling laws and cases and upholding the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, it defines what treason is. I think this is important because, up like, previous examples of governments like this, uh, including England, like, I don't know that that was codified. Someone feel free to correct me, but, like, don't make it a big deal. Um, it's... <laughs> It's worth noting that treason is specifically defined in the Constitution rather than, like, in a bit of legislation that Congress could enact. Or, like, a Supreme Court precedent or yes, something like exactly. that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, then we move into a couple articles that just really define the way that federalism is going to work. So, like, how new states get added, um, the the rights of states being sovereign except as spelled out in the Constitution— um it's like the plain language version of that is that if this constitution doesn't say states can't do it then they can do it (laughs) totally which is we've run into that problem that's why there's all those amendments um article six i thought was worth noting for our current climate um that there uh, shall be no religious test ever required as qualification to any office or public trust under the united states Mm-hmm. Um, even though that, you know, you take office, you shall be bound by oath or affirmation. And I don't think that at the writing of the Constitution, they were thinking, they were probably thinking about a bunch of different forms of Christianity and some, uh, you know, Jewish congregations. But that's obviously been extended in recent years. So worth noting. Um, and then Article Seven's just like, here's how you make a, a Constitution. Yeah, here's how the Constitution, <laughs> here's how you make it mean anything. <laughs> Nine states have to ratify it. And that's it. Go to it. Great. Four pages of parchment. Done. So clearly, Dang. we needed some other stuff, Andrew. Yeah. What's... So so what happens shortly after that is um, you get the Bill of Rights. So the constitution is ratified in what 88 88 yeah and um entered into use in 89 also in 89 you've got you know a lot of the people involved in crafting the constitution get back together and they come up with this thing called the bill of rights which is a collection of 12 amendments to the constitution um it was yeah created in 89 and most of it was ratified in 91 so actually the first two amendments in this are not the first two amendments in the bill of rights as we learn it in school i don't think no it's true so this one is a one is about like congressional pay 
And that was actually, it was later ratified as the 27th and most recent amendment to the Constitution in <laughs> uh-huh. 1992. I know. Uh, and then the other one is technically still before the states. Yeah, it's about... And they can ratify it at any time. It's about representation in Congress. And they're referred to in the original Bill of Rights as articles um, to the amendment of the Constitution. So... The, the opening so paragraph this is like just as a broad yeah. yeah do the opening paragraph and then I'll talk about like just what the broad thrust of these is the conventions of a number of the states having at the time of their adopting the constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added and as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the benefic- the beneficent ends of its institution so, yo, this Constitution's a mess and it needs amendments. <laughs> not, I don't know that it was a, was a mess. But so there, we talked about those factions before. The Federalists who favored a strong central government or something that could be mistaken for a monarchy if you squint at it. Uh-huh. And um, the anti-Federalists were interested in like states' rights and people's rights. So the Bill of Rights broadly is about defining what the rights of the people are and defining sort of a separation of powers between states and the federal government more explicitly. Um, and the, for the two schools of thought at the time, um, you can go to, again, our boy Alexander Hamilton, who got this one super wrong. Yeah, a little bit. I think. He says, here in strictness, the people surrender nothing. And as they retain everything, they have no need of particular reservations. Um, so you don't need a bill of rights because obviously the people just have all this stuff. They don't need it to be laid out. Um, a guy named Patrick Henry um, represents the anti-federalist point of view, saying that the legislature must be firmly informed, quote, of the extent of the rights retained by the people being in a state of uncertainty. They will assume rather than give up powers by implication, which basically says people get power. They're going to assume that they can just grab more power unless you tell them they can't, mm-hmm. which, hey, that's super prescient. <laughs> like, hey, that's how power actually works. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you've got um, articles three through 12 that are ratified as the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. So let's just like we'll refer to them as their amendment numbers. It's kind of like weird, like comic sequencing where some of the numbers got messed up anyway. Number one, free speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion. You're not allowed to infringe on that. Mm-hmm. Um, number two. Oh, and assembly, too. Assembly, like You can yes. assemble into a big old protest to yes. say that you think somebody's dumb or something. And you're allowed to petition the government if you think it's doing a bad job. Mm-hmm. Um, number two is, well, uh, I'm going to put like bold on this one, well-regulated militia. Um, follow that up with right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Let's, let's just a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now we are not going to get into a big Second Amendment thing. I think we can say that people against guns think that this is clearly about like state militias and not about just you having a bunch of semi-automatic guns in your house. Yes, and people who are for guns. Uh, are about the right of the people to keep and bear arms. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, four is no unreasonable. You mean three. Sur- oh, excuse me. Three. I skipped one. No quartering of soldiers. Yeah, I'm not quartering any troops in my house, Craig. Don't skip number three. You can't watch my Netflix without my permission, soldier. Get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Four is no unreasonable search and seizure. You'll see this in the news now here in Philly, anyway, where Andrew and I live, um, as part of the sanctuary city argument. Um, Philly has declared itself a Fourth Amendment city of the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. So that's that. That some of the, you'll see how some of these have been like. Stretch, not quite stretched, but at yeah, least like the sanctuary city thing is is complicated because it's both that, but it's also like our local police forces will not act as an arm of like the federal immigration yeah, yeah. agencies, um, which is not quite laid out here. Um, yeah, right. Five is you cannot be compelled to testify against yourself. You have the right to due process. You can't suffer double jeopardy. Um, Apparently, due Unless process. Unless you yeah. are on the show Jeopardy, which Alex Trebek <laughs> still hosted back in 1781. Um, and private property can't be taken for public use without just compensation. Uh, six is speedy public trial by jury with witnesses and guaranteed counsel. I not I not realized that guaranteed counsel was in there. That's very smart. Yeah. Um, seven. Is, seven is interesting. <laughs> um, seven is about civil law. And uh, it's in suits at common law where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved. <laughs> so, okay. Is that still relevant? Uh, hold on a second. I, I, Just saying here. I don't know how we use this, this amendment today, I will confess. Let's see here. $20 in the year 19, or 1791... <laughs> Would be worth four hundred eighty-two dollars and fifty-nine cents in twenty fifteen. So if it's so less, that's still than, like not a ton of money. Does that mean that if I'm searching for more than that, that I can't go to Judge Judy? I'm not sure. I okay. don't know how this has been changed because obviously, like twenty dollars is not. Yeah, I don't know how that the works anymore. Um, then you have number eight. Um, yeah, it's that one's the cruel and unusual punishment mm-hmm. one. Number nine. Um, number nine is. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And then 10 is the, if it ain't in the Constitution, it's up to the states. Have fun, everybody. Buckle up. (laughs) Yep. And then everybody signs it and it gets ratified. And there you go. There you go. So, yeah, the Bill of Rights, like especially the First Amendment, you hear about the First Amendment all the time because people are always like freedom of speech, freedom of speech, freedom of speech. It's worth noting that like, the freedom to say whatever you want does not protect you from the consequences of saying that like you are not protected by some other person saying that the thing that you said was stupid. Correct. And I think that's commonly like a lot of the time when people bring up like censorship or something. Yes. Like if you say something racist on Twitter and then you get banned from the service or something, you bring up freedom of speech and like one twitter is a private company (laughs) Uh are they a public company i don't know either way they're a company and they're not they have terms of use yeah it's not like a government agency or whatever but yeah you you can yeah consequences happen the other thing sorry guys the other thing that you're seeing um put through in congress right now is this idea that your right to freedom of religion uh allows you to do like business dealings or things like that based on your beliefs or withhold 
certain services and goods from people based on your religious beliefs. And that, that is a very hot debate right now. Yeah. So that's where a lot of the stuff about like, oh, I don't want to have to provide my employees birth control or, or stuff like yes. that. That's where that comes from. Yes. Um, I don't know what the 11th Amendment does, Andrew. <laughs> you don't know what it does. <laughs> I don't understand it really. Interesting. What does it do? Um, so it... It's about sovereign immunity. Say that. Okay, sure. And it makes it so. All right, I'm gonna let's just. I'm gonna read it because this is one that I don't have a super strong grasp on either. That, okay, I'm just making sure. Um, the judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States by citizens of another state, or by citizens or subjects of any foreign state. I feel like, isn't this like how the whole process of like extradition works and stuff? Oh, like be, okay. Like if you're in America, you can't be prosecuted by America for dumb stuff that you did in like Spain. And vice versa. Like if you're hanging out in Spain, but you did stuff in America, you can't. I think, you and obviously be like your, your governments, your governments can work out an agreement where the U.S. sends you back to Spain, but you got to be tried in a country that you did the stuff in. Okay. I think that's what it is. Don't at me. I don't. I don't understand the eleventh um, amendment. Um, amendment twelve. <laughs> this is, we were talking about this before. This uh, basically puts the president and VP on the same ticket. Yeah. So there was a there was a um, eighteen twenty four right. Um, this election? is actually it was uh, it was ratified in eighteen o four. Huh. Okay. Um, so what happened basically was that people like. So what happened originally is that the person with the first number, like the most number of electoral votes became the president and the person with the second most became vice president. So one, you're often going to get people who are fighting at cross purposes elected to the office of president and vice president. And that's not exactly a great like working arrangement. Um, And this was like the, especially after Washington died, um, partisan politics became a big thing and it's still a fixture of our system now. So you are going to get people with like fiercely different beliefs competing against against each other. Um, The other thing that would happen is that if you were running for president and vice president, like if you wanted somebody who you could work with. Yes. On your ticket with you, like the electors could each cast two votes. Yes. And if you were both on one ticket, the person who was running as president and the person who was running as vice president could be tied. Yeah. And, and I think there were originally like you were, there were restrictions on like you had to vote for someone not in the state. That you yeah. So it was, it was a thing where it, it could prevent people like electors from a given state from just voting for people in their state, like across the board. And they, be- but they thought that this would actually like never really result in a lot of majorities and then the government would end up like picking it and it'd be fine <laughs> right yeah it was like it was before the party system and so they thought oh like there is all there are always going to be like six people running for president and nobody's going to be able to get a strong majority by themselves that's not how it ended up so here we have amendment 12 um this changed it so you can like electors technically cast one vote for president and one for vice president yep and that's pretty much the way that it still works now correct is you're not casting all your votes for two people who get two different offices. Yes. Uh, um, and then we don't have amendments for like 60 years because we fought a civil war. 
Yeah, like we were busy. We had stuff going on. <laughs> there was a whole lot going on in the world, and then we decided to have our own war against ourselves. Yeah. So uh, there are three amendments that are passed after the Civil War is over. These are usually called the Reconstruction Amendments, and mm-hmm. it's uh, 13, 14, and 15. Craig, tell me about 13 and the S word. 13 says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So, and like, I kind of, what I take away from that is, like, if I did a bad enough crime, I could still be a slave. I think what? so. There was that story coming out of, was out of, like, Massachusetts or something where, where somebody was like, hey... Maybe not Massachusetts, but it was like someone was like, "You don't if you don't know where the state is, then don't pretend." Okay, like you I won't. But there was someone who was like, "You could use my convicts to like build stuff," which is like sort of like slavery, right? Yeah, that's not good. Um, and section section two of Amendment thirteen, and this up- occurs in a lot of different amendments. Yes, but it's yes. just like yeah, Congress can enforce this article. True legislation. Um, so do what you need, Congress. And then 14 says that all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Yeah. Um, so this was this was a lot about like people who had been slaves were being denied citizenship. And this is like, hey, you can't do that. And this this uh, the first section of this is actually like since it defines what citizen citizenship is and mm-hmm. what the rights of citizenship are it gets it gets litigated a lot so brown versus board of education roe versus wade um oberg how do you o b e r g e f e l l how would you pronounce that name oh i don't know oh, uh, versus oh. hodges which is the uh, marriage equality one that mm. just came up in 2015 mm-hmm. um those are all sort of legal fights that have happened based on the interpretation of this amendment and specifically this section. And, um, and this specifically overrode the Supreme court's dread Scott decision, which banned slaves and their descendants from becoming citizens, like specifically. And then section two, uh, appends representation to all of these new citizens, excluding Indians, not taxed very specifically americans though it always says indians when it refers to them in the constitution and the amendments uh section three is what is that it's something about uh you can't you can't what is that you can't be elected okay so you can't be a senator you can't be a representative you can't be president or vice president or an elector, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state, um, if while under oath you engaged in insurrection or rebellion against your country or state, or if you've given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. So, like, here's here's a fun what if. Like, what <laughs> if somebody who's president gives aid or comfort to a country that? Doesn't have our best interests at heart. Well, Andrew, good thing here. Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such a disability. So Congress can basically decide what aid or comfort is defined. I suppose. Um, And then what is section four and section five? Do we just want to skip them? No, just skip them. Just skip them. Section uh, Amendment 15 is about voting. So 1870, the right of citizens of the United States to vote. Now, citizens having previously been defined by the... 
previous amendments um, shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on the account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So black people can vote. Slaves can vote. Yeah, we we got an email from Ellen um, who was kind of responding to a work of literature called The Sellout of Paul Beattie. Um, about filling out race on a census form. Yeah, because she's saying she's from the Netherlands, yep. where um, like you just generally don't have to tell the government what race you are, and it's not, it's not as big a deal as it is here. And so she asks, uh, "You could you tell me what is meant by race in the U.S. in the coming episode when you're talking about the United States Constitution, if and when it fits in, and uh, what the difference is with color." So for as as concerns the United States and specifically um, the Fifteenth Amendment, at the time it was a hundred percent about former slaves and yeah. black people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and again, like I don't know that most of the European countries. I don't I don't know about the abolition of slavery in Europe and in terms of timeline, but I know by and large it was way before the United States. Uh, so I I think some of the governments that were established after the United States didn't have to like wrestle with that in their founding documents um, as countries moved out of monarchies and whatnot. Um, Obviously, as we've talked about, like we had to specifically add text to deal with this issue. uh, And we are still unfortunately litigating uh, a lot of these issues today. So as like, as to the difference between race and color, I think that would probably like, it was fairly common for former slaves to have had children by their masters because people are great. Human beings are pretty cool or, or as a group or black freedmen uh, and freed women who were, you know, just basically any sort of uh, person with a mixed background. Sure. But it's just, it's like easy to, envision the scenario where somebody who is passing as white could have their right to vote or their citizenship called into question because of their heritage. And so I think with, with race and color here specifically, they're just kind of covering their, all their bases. Yeah. I could be wrong, but that's my read on it. Sure. Um, then we 16th amendment is about the income tax, income tax, boo. And it's it's giving the federal government the authority to collect an income tax. And I didn't I guess I hadn't realized that income tax was not a thing until 1913. Or if it was, it maybe not it was a like a state. It was a yeah, state thing. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of interesting. But before before that, the federal government made its money mostly through import taxes and then this thing called um I wrote it down. This separate thing called the um excise tax, which was uh, like a usually heavier tax on like a specific good. So like think alcohol or something like that. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so this is just like, hey, if you make income, we can tax it so we can get some money. Sure. Uh, is 17 about like replacing 17 is just senators about and whatnot? Senators are now elected by popular vote. Great. Cool. And, the, and, and it's also about like make new senators happen. Yes, right. So, like, if a senator resigns or if they step up. So, senators have six-year terms, which means, unlike um, representatives, um, they don't get elected every time there's a presidential election. But sometimes senators are elected president. So, like, when Barack Obama was elected president, he was, I believe, four years into his first six-year term as a senator. Yes. Um, And so, the governor of Illinois at the time, Rod Blagojevich... (laughs) 
was allowed to appoint a senator. A temporary, he, yeah, it's like a temporary senator until there's an until election. An, until an election can be held. And he was trying to use that as leverage to like get stuff. And so now he's in prison. Yes. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh then we have what a rich tapestry america 18 is, you know? where apparently america didn't want to get drunk anymore so the stupidest amendment let's let's outlaw the sale and uh manufacture of alcohol and into- intoxicating liquors yes uh one year from the ratification of this article so understanding that's going to take some time for y'all to get the funds out of your system uh get rid of alcohol and like prohibition, one, it was barely enforced. Yep. Two, it didn't work that great. I was reading like when people are arguing in favor of prohibition, they use this figure that at like at its lowest ebb, people got cirrhosis of the liver at sixty percent of pre-prohibition levels. Though so it did raise, it did rise back up to eighty percent by the time it was repealed. <laughs> um, and also prohibition was a huge factor in the rise of organized crime in America. So like uh, good job government. Hmm. So the yeah, the organized crime syndicates that we know today like they they originally made all their money running alcohol and then by the time um prohibition was repealed they were already organizations and so they're like let's do other stuff now i wonder if we should learn any lessons from this as we wonder about the legality of weed i don't know i don't know man i'm just gonna like pose that question gotta wait for amendment 420 i've already forgotten what we were talking about um amendment 19 Uh, 19 19 is when we let women vote big mistake huge i'm just kidding women are great i saw a stat in i think it's max farad wrote this uh book called the fathers of the constitution um that's like appended to this kindle document that we bought um (laughs) and he talked about how like up until this point the voting like turnout was like 20 percent until women got like of of just the population in the united states so obviously then, you know, right now we have like a little less than half of the eligible voting population votes, which is yeah, still so kind of sad bounces, and a bummer. It bounces around between like 45 and 60 percent typically, depending on the election. Um, and for midterm elections, like for elections when the president is not up for election, it's even worse. And for special election elections that are just one offs, it's like deep in the toilet. Yeah. So uh, obviously extending the white the right of women to vote uh bumped up that number and was just a good thing to do uh 20 20 is about like when the transfer of power happens yeah so january 20th at noon is when the president (laughs) and vice president their new term begins so look forward to that and then um january 3rd is when new senators and and uh, representatives are sworn in yes uh there's other stuff about congress dealing with like succession and and stuff like that uh 21 is prohibition was a bad idea sorry and then section two is like well if you the state still want to have prohibition we're still happy to prosecute that as a federal crime yeah cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) i i do like that here in america where the drinking age is 21 that the amendment where we get to drink again is amendment 21 i just like that a lot nice uh 22 is hey you can only be president twice 
And this was so. So, yeah, up until uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, presidents always obeyed this two term norm that was set by Washington. And he sort of he did that in the first place to make it so that no one person would get too much power and so yeah. that the American system of government would not become too dependent on any one person. It was it was pointed out that when they were coming up with this executive office, they were debating whether or not to do six-year terms versus four-year terms and whether or not a president could be reelected in the first place. And they decided upon a four-year term with re-election because they thought it would incentivize good behavior. <laughs> So uh, maybe we'll it depends on the president, I guess. <laughs> I think it incentivizes spending the last year of your first term campaigning, but mm-hmm. whatever. Well, some people just need four years to do all the damage they're going to do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, FDR was he was elected to four terms as president and he died a few months into his fourth term. Yeah. Which is like I was reading about him the other day. And it's kind of like it's probably not right that he ran for president that last time, like concealing his clearly failing health. But it was sort of an exceptional time in American history. Like this is the guy who gets you out of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who deals with World War Two. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's probably easy for him to make an argument. You know, I am. I have done all this stuff. My record is great. I am a stabilizing influence in a time of turmoil. Let me let me deal with this. Let me keep doing it. Yeah, sure. And then it also says, so if you become president more than two years into someone else's term, so say the president kicks it after one year, you get three years as president. You can only run for re-election one time. Mm. So it makes it so that so that somebody who is president for like a year and a half of somebody's term could, in theory, run twice so i could be president you could be president for almost 10 nine years. and nine tenths years yeah okay if you if you timed it right if, like if you smothered the president <laughs> with a pillow or something just throwing just, ideas out i'm there. not gonna say anything like that but sure uh no this is totally hypothetical oh totally totally i would never be president who are you kidding 23 <laughs> Is yo DC gets uh, some electors, right? Poor DC. Poor DC. It so longs to be of, a state. The District of Columbia is our nation's capital, and it was basically scooped out of land granted by a few different states. Yep. And they, I mean, if if you are not an American listener or if you've never been to DC, like their license plates say taxation without representation <laughs> on it, which was a. <laughs> Like a core argument of people who made the Revolutionary War happen, and they still so they they live in they live in America, but they don't have representation in Congress. They don't have representatives, and they don't have senators because they're not a state. So this is like a bone thrown to them. Yes, to like oh, I guess we'll let you have a say in the presidential election. Yeah, once every four years, you get to decide something. Ugh. And um, there are still there's like a pretty there's still a pretty big DC statehood movement. Um, the deal the deal currently with adding more states to America, so it comes up with DC. I think it comes up with Puerto Rico a lot. Yep. Uh huh. Is um, if you make them states, they get at least one representative and two senators, 
and those areas are heavily democratic typically yep. or they would they would vote that way yeah currently anyway and so the so the republican party has a vested interest like that would completely throw off the balance of power in the senate in particular is yep. if you add like two or four senators who are almost always going to be democratic to that math it becomes unfavorable i think there's some them, instances so. right now where dc can send officials to like hearings in congress but they can't vote on anything like they're allowed and dc to, yeah. dc has a city government dc yeah. has a national guard like it's it's just it's a weird little thing where they get to do a lot of the things that states can do but they're technically not a state true uh 24 is hey no poll taxes no other yeah, no so, taxes to prevent you from voting yeah let's talk a little bit more about not mentioning black people or racism or slavery yeah it's because it's important civil rights legislature that doesn't mention race yeah which so i guess if you like so imagine this the constitution says you have to let black people vote but you don't want to let black people vote so you just charge them money yeah which because of systemic racism they don't have as much of sure as other people so a poll tax essentially becomes a blockade to stop black people from voting in much the same way that voter ID laws are currently mostly designed to do that right yes. now. I think it's, it's probably for the long run better for this specific bit of legislature to just be about the tax. If only because it prevents future use theoretically, if these amendments are being upheld by whatever government's in place, um, prevents use of taxes on any minority or disenfranchised group right a lot like a lot of the back and forth of the constitution is like how do we protect the rights of uh smaller groups of people like the minority versus the majority mm-hmm. um in this case and in much of these cases in america it is uh people of color because of the way the country was founded um but it's it's like everybody's taking great pains to both talk about that and not talk about that for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, twenty five so, like, is how we get rid of a president. Yeah, twenty five. Twenty five. <laughs> I feel like it's brought up almost exclusively on like political thriller shows. Yeah. <laughs> where like halfway through the show, like this happened on twenty four at least once, is they invoke the twenty fifth amendment, which is about how the vice president and the cabinet can be like, oh, I don't believe the president can do his job anymore and install the the vice president as president. Now, JFK was killed in 63 and this went into effect in 67. So mm-hmm. I imagine there's some of that there. Yeah. Um, of just like, here's what we think is the line yeah, of succession. We, we have to like be clearer about how the line of succession works because... I'm worried that it's going to be more of a thing in the future. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how each section of Amendment 25 gets longer as they get further down the chain. Mm-hmm. It's just this cascading sense of, yo, we need more people. Yo, we need more people. Okay, if Congress is not around, like, here's what we do. Um, yeah, this is basically the pilot for designated survivor. Yeah, Amendment basically. 25. <laughs> uh, 26 is... is just about the like establishing the voting age as 18. Yep. I don't know what they... like what the age would have been before that or if there had even been an age requirement but i don't 
like this one's probably not about race, right? Like probably. I because anybody can be eighteen. I'm just gonna double check it right now. Um, it was twenty one before, and it okay. was driven in large part by student activism following a protest to the Vietnam War. So there. Okay, were... Yeah, because you could still be drafted at eighteen, right? Yes, and so if you are. Uh, trying to oppose a war you don't want to serve in but you don't have a voice in government that seems problematic there you go okay i'm glad you established cause and effect like all these all these amendments have a pretty clear cause and effect which is kind of neat if you're a student of history like if you go through all the amendments you can trace the the history of them all um amendment 27 is that one it's mostly <laughs> noteworthy because it's actually like the second thing in the original bill of rights <laughs> and it just took forever and ever and ever for them to pass it amendments came out at a pretty steady clip between like especially between the civil war and 92 when this one was ratified yeah and they haven't really happened since no we and haven't. so so we've you know we we've talked about how a lot of these amendments reflect the nature of their times. And I would say that the lack of amendments reflects the nature of our time where it is so like, so to, to get an amendment even going, you have to have it brought up by two thirds of the house and the Senate and then presented to the States or um, brought up by what? Three quarters of the States. I think it's, it's each like each house of Congress, two thirds of them have to pass it, and then three quarters of the states have to approve it. Yeah, which in our current landscape, in our current, it's very partisan, and it like if you can get fifty one percent of people to say anything, that's pretty much as well as you can do. But it's also, I will say, that given the way that recent state and local elections have gone, I personally am a little worried uh, about. Our ability to prevent future constitutional amendments that right. I personally don't agree with. So I'll what just... what's what is happening now? And and there's a movement that I'm happy about, and that I hope picks up some steam um, among Democrats to pay more attention to state and local elections. Sure. So what has happened throughout Obama's two terms is that we have like Democrats have lost elections in the House of Representatives. They have lost elections in the Senate. They've lost governorships of states and mm -hmm. they've lost a lot of seats in state legislatures, which are just the state versions of, of Congress. Um, so what's happening now is we're getting to a point where Republicans almost have full unified control in enough states that they can ratify constitutional amendments. Which I don't even know what those would be, but I don't think they'd be great. Um Currently, given the current makeup of the Republican Party. Well, and so like what you get to with that is you think about stuff like marriage equality or like abortion rights that yes. are backed up by Supreme Court rulings and what you need to make a Supreme Court ruling to like overturn one is you need to push a law through Congress, which is not going to happen because you don't have enough votes on either side most of the time. Or you need to amend the Constitution. Yep. And given Republican efforts, I mean, I think abortion rights and like voting rights would be some of the first stuff like up on the chopping block. Like, yeah. institu like in instituting nationwide abortion limits or just banning it altogether mm -hmm. or 
um, establishing nationwide like voter ID laws or other things that are like or religious tests or other things. Yeah, religious yeah. tests, just things that are generally coded to um, disadvantage minorities and, and people who don't vote Republican. Well, and, and one of the things that we've been talking about this whole time is the kind of the the interplay between the in the Constitution between the the what the federal government is allowed to do versus the protections of states' rights and the rights of the individual. And since the like New Deal and the Civil Rights era, um, you've gotten a Democratic Party that's very concerned with federal protections of civil liberties, and now but now it has to win back a bunch of local offices it's like not right, like, what the party has been geared to do for a long yeah, time I, i've seen it i've seen the position stated and i like i find this pretty compelling is that democrats generally believe that when something is the law or when something is true it should be true for everybody who lives in america so yeah so you got gay marriage you got all kinds of stuff on that side of the aisle um where the way the country is set up it's like the states have kind of like a lot of leeway to argue the opposite. Yeah. And so we focus like overwhelmingly on the presidential election and any other time democratic turnout is bad because yes. we, we figure, Oh, we have the presidency. That's the most important thing. Like we have, we have stuff where it counts so we don't have to worry that much about it. Yeah. And then the other side, like we don't, we don't even have time to talk about how like redistricting works where like, Oh boy. So this is, this is tied to the census, which we talked about earlier. It happens every 10 years, but um, the state legislatures and state governments basically draw up what their congressional district looks like. So Mm -hmm. every representative in the house of representatives represents a specific patch of land in each state. And so what happens sometimes when people redraw these districts is they redraw them based on demographics. So they concentrate um, votes from one party in a small but like densely populated area while creating these other districts that go the other way. So what I mean, you're seeing it right now. It's it's, it's called gerrymandering. But you're seeing it right now in terms of how and if that's going to get challenged in the Supreme Court. Now, right now, given the composition of the Supreme Court, I don't know how that will go, but you're starting to see, Is it was, I think Wisconsin is the first state now where they are ruling that gerrymandering has been done in a way that is actually determined by race because of the way that uh, racial demographics predominantly vote by party um, mm-hmm. currently. Um, and based on and that also that also gets into there's a uh, 1965 law called the voting rights act that was passed in congress that forbids specific states based on their you know their Mm -hmm. historical tendencies against like doing things without federal government oversight and there was a supreme court ruling that said basically like the short version is that said oh racism was over we don't have to worry about it anymore and some of those specific states fell over themselves to, roll to back immediately rights. roll back voting rights. Yeah. Um, and then fr- we could do a whole another episode on how frustrating some of this <laughs> stuff is. But uh, I do want to, like you were talking about earlier, the the way that these amendments were put in place, like in reaction to specific things. As I was reading that Fathers of the Constitution, like novelette 
that Max Farad wrote. A novella is usually the term sure, but it's historical action. It's not historical fiction. It's real stuff. But whatever. Um, <laughs> I I like. It's not a novelette because it's not fiction. But just call it a treatise or something. What do you do? It's an essay. He. <laughs> you're an essay. <laughs> he write. He goes through like how the con- how the Constitution kind of bubbled up from these specific men in that specific room in Philadelphia at the time. And one of the anecdotes that I particularly enjoyed was like the way that they passed all of the details of the executive branch, like they'd already hashed out so many difficult things in the legislature. And it was like, get into August that they were just like, I don't know, just make it George Washington. Like they were so worn out by the actual process of creating a new government that there are elements that maybe didn't, they didn't let slide, but like they certainly didn't take the time to think about, how political parties would influence the election of an executive. Like they just kind of thought, meh, we're good. Cause they were trying, everybody was up for what their individual States was going to get out of the legislation. So I, I just think it's interesting to view these four pages of parchment. And then the 27 amendments that came later as like the product of a bunch of actual people, mm-hmm. which is both, dismaying at times because when you're disappointed in the constitution you're like well the those people suck but it also i think the optimistic point of view is that like it was made by people it has been changed by people and it can continue to be changed by people hopefully for the better um but also means it's like that's why they left so many things so like narrow and a little ambiguous at times yeah, because right. it needed to be molded to whoever is actually using it. Um, that's just so my like th- this. This debate seems almost quaint now, but I think so. So if you get into Christianity, like I, I was raised like a as a kind of fundamentalist Baptist, and so you get sort of this debate about the Bible about like taking it literally versus taking mm. its lessons and like applying it to stuff that happens in the current interesting day. okay and and before you know th- before now when you get up to this this era where just nothing matters and you're governed <laughs> by nihilism which is what's happening now sure um you had this debate on the republican side against like taking the constitution literally versus taking it as a guiding document set up by people who knew that their country was going to change over time. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's not so much of a thing anymore because it seems like I, I I just, I want to make people of all stripes feel welcome when they listen to this podcast. But I think it's clear if you look at the actual facts that Republicans are just willing to do and say like, especially Republicans. I know there are like tons of corrupt Democrats and it's, it's like, it's not like we're untainted by all of this, but it seems clear that Republicans in particular are willing to do and say stuff just so they can get and keep power. And so for a while, the constitutional like literalism thing was an effective tack for them. And now that it's not anymore, (laughs) they don't care so much about it yeah i mean we can if you think this conversation is like not going to go to a good no place, i just think it's out, i just think it's to, like 
partisan there's a reason that we've also been fighting about like campaign finance reform and other things that are not explicitly laid out in any sort of constitutional uh language because of the growth and toxicity of partisan politics Mm -hmm. um and the way that voting rights work and the way that voting turnout works means that you can appeal to a radical base rather than a centralist part of the population um centralist politically so that like both parties but i think the Repu- the current republican party is more guilty of this than the democrats have like pushed to an extreme that's not about catering to the most americans it's catering to enough americans to get into power um and ultimately i think we're we're seeing the pains of what that means like play out really grossly right now mm-hmm. um i don't know what to do about it except be like a good person but yeah and and elect people that i think are not just going to adopt radical platforms for the sake of radical platforms um and I don't just mean radical as, as like on the left, but just extremist in general platforms. Yeah, um, like like people. The problem that we have right now, and the problem we're going to have with this incoming administration, is it's an administration that was elected by what, like forty eight percent of voters. Yeah, that is going into power, assuming it has a mandate to change, just like literally whatever. And then the the our problem now, and I think you could probably agree on this, regardless of party, is that like these people like Congress and the president, everybody, they have to represent all of America and not all of them are interested in, in making a good faith effort to, to doing that. No. Cause there's nothing that literally tells them to do that. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do, I genuinely believe that Obama, at least he started out from a place of like earnestly wanting to do that. Yes. And he I was agree. obstructed by an, a party who decided it just wasn't going to do that. Sure. And so if he if he did get into executive overreach, especially in his second term, which I think you can make a pretty good case for it, like it's it's because the, this other party is just is acting not counter to any particular law, but just counter to the spirit of the thing. Yeah, and and let me just point out that like nothing in Article One about the legislature prepares you for political parties. Like we yeah. talk about that I with mean, the executive, the, you know, but yeah. the the way that majorities and two thirds and two thirds votes and whatnot that's all put in there. But I don't think it, it is not. We've sent two hundred years since we've like really codified the idea that there have to be two parties our system is set up for it because of the way that majorities are written into the constitution but the constitution certainly doesn't say that that's how it's gonna go well and i just like i think it's it's pretty easy if you go back to 1804 to envision okay here's this one office yeah it could get run over by somebody who like believes extreme things or whatever but surely surely these these two houses of Congress that we've created that have hundreds of people in them mm-hmm. who come from all walks of life. Surely we could not get to a point where partisanship would be completely terminal. Yes. True. The way it is now. And so now, now at this point you've got, and I, this is something I think the Democrats are doing. Like when you see how quickly Democrats have suddenly become like the party of 
anti-Russia or whatever, which for <laughs> such a long time was like a republic, like a, a Republican joke, hawk making thing. fun of yeah, Republicans. Yeah. It was like, oh, making fun of them communists or whatever. Like we're we are at the point where if a foreign power's interests align with ours, we're willing to put our like our party's interests ahead of the country's interests. And that's just that's really damaging and it's really unfortunate. And it, it's part of why when we are seeing Republicans who are going against the grain with some mm-hmm. of this stuff and you do have a handful of them, like I think it's just it's really worthwhile to to put some steel in their spines and just letting them know that we we see what you're doing and we appreciate that you're trying to go with the spirit of the constitution instead of just party lining everything. Yeah, you know? it's it's worth noting that the constitution is laid out as the supreme law of the land specifically. It is not entered into as a treaty between between states. So like we operate this country under the idea that this document is the country and we should continue to reward elected officials who who believe the same. Yeah. And it's and and just to to close with something that um, Obama said in his oh thank you for, address yeah thank you for that that I saw that I saw taken out of context but <laughs> ugh, whatever I mean he he said essentially the Constitution is just a piece of paper unless we uphold it mm. mm-hmm. a republic a republic if you can keep it indeed a republic if you can keep it indeed. so it's 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 up to us to elect people who will keep it and to reward them when they do and to speak out when they don't. And I think that that should be true, like regardless of the, of the party that you are part of. Cause when we, I think when we speak out against Republicans, we aren't speaking out against Republicans or against conservative ideas, but we're speaking out against people who act in, in bad faith to railroad their own like points of view and beliefs through because they can Instead of, instead of actively like trying to work together with other people who share this country with you. Yes. To come to something that we can all live with. And that's, and that's what the constitution was about was like, nobody was super happy about signing it, but they did because it was the best they could all get to. Yeah. There's like a quote from Franklin about, he's like, I don't know if I like everything here, but I'm also not sure it's not the best thing we could have come up with. Like he's like not willing to doubt that it's, that it's the best document available, even if it isn't wholly satisfying. Um, this has been our Constitution podcast. We talked about most of it as best we could. If you have questions that we can relay to someone smarter than us, <laughs> you should. Good luck finding somebody, by the way. You should hit us up on social media um, or send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. I want to thank all the folks who reached out to us on social media this week. We had a bunch of flurry of activity after our Simpsons episode last week. So thank you to Kelly, Byers Recourse, Becky the Writer, Graham, Rebecca, Margaret, Swartzwelder, Nicole, Mr. Fithick, Caitlin, Elizabeth, Charlotte, Rachel, Melissa, Carrie, Lucas, Grace, Valerie, Brittany, Scott, Anna, Camille, Jerry, Trisha, Eliza, Starfish Chick, William, Florence, Jeff Umbro, Mary-Kate, Sophie, Natalie, Trisha, Elizabeth, Robin, Susanna, Adam, Michael, Sarah, Ashley, Trisha, Michelle, Amy, LD, and Steve. That's our good friend Steve Dowling who does the voice at the beginning of every episode. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, thanks, Steve-o. Um, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? 
They can go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our website where we have links to our iTunes store and our RSS feed and our Google Play page and Stitcher. Those are all ways you can subscribe to the show. If you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us because it helps us rise in the rankings and it makes us feel great. We are over 400 now, which is a pretty big, pretty big deal for us. Feel pretty good about it. Um, We've also got Amazon links to the books that we have read and are going to read and a bunch of other information about our Patreon project. We've made some changes for 2017. Um, You can find out about those at patreon.com slash overdue pod. So far, the reaction has been pretty good, but uh, just let us know if you have any particular opinion and we'd we'd love to hear from you. Um, And like we said earlier, we have a live show coming up on February 11th. We'll have that's in Philadelphia at the City Library. That's the name of the, the thing, Free right? Library of the Philadelphia. Free Library. It'll probably be the central uh, branch, but there'll be more details when we get the link. So, um, and yeah, tickets will be fifteen bucks, and we will post information on our website when we have it. Um, I also want to do just a little personal plug. I was on a podcast called mm-hmm. Random Trek mm-hmm. this past week, where uh, every week they talk about a random episode of Star Trek. I got on. I talked about an episode of Deep Space Nine. Which is not a good episode of Star Trek, <laughs> but I did have a lot of fun doing the podcast and just like talking about one of my uh, longtime obsessions. So um, go check that out. Um, it's on the Incomparable Network, and you can find them on Twitter at twitter.com slash random underscore Trek. We've got a merch store, overduepodcast.com slash store where there are mugs and totes and bookmarks and stickers for your enjoyment. We have that stuff on sale through January 31st, so please go there, buy some stuff, and we will ship it to you personally. Uh, There's also, Andrew, did you mention the links to Spreaker, our podcast host, and HeadGum, our podcast network? I didn't, but you did, so. Good, good, good. There's also like RSS feeds and whatnot, but you might have mentioned that. Andrew. We're talking about Station Eleven next week. So that's that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then there's actually, this is the last thing. There's a small change to our schedule coming up. Um, I am still going to be reading The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon. But um, our episode on January 30th is going to be about uh, Lord of the Flies, which we are recording an episode about with the the fine people at the New York Public Library. Uh, we're going to record that on Tuesday, and I'm really looking forward to it. But um, the Dog in the Nighttime episode will go up as a bonus episode this month. So if you're reading along, you're still going to be fine, but we're just uh, shuffling things a little bit. Cool. Thanks okay, for man, listening to this the... jumbo-sized civics lesson of a podcast. Was, stay strong, everyone. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, everyone stay strong. Uh, email us if you have questions or if you just need to vent. A lot of you do that, and it makes us feel good that you feel comfortable doing that. And uh, until we talk to you next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.